Today, we are continuing last week's episode following the theme of what we'd do differently if we knew then what we know now about growing a travel business. We touched on a lot last week, but there's so much more in this episode. So today we are going to talk about marketing, client experience, industry events and fans, as well as ways that we would diversify our revenue streams. So let's get back into it and dive first into marketing. Hey, it's your travel industry best friends, Robin and Jen from T. We're obsessed with practically anything that touches your business and allows you to scale to the level of success that you've always dreamt of. With Robin's background in sales and marketing and Jennifer's experience as a management level HR professional, we grew a small itinerary creation company into a multi-million dollar travel agency. And now we aim to help others skip the hard stuff and get right to the big wins. We're probably each recording this holding a glass of wine. So pour one up with us, grab a seat, and join us to talk all things travel and business. We're going to talk a little bit about marketing and multiple platforms. So like website, social, email marketing, in-person events, and memberships. Let's tackle website first because I, I do feel like almost everyone has a website. So this is a great jumping off point. If you've listened, you know that my first website was a $500 website, which then was like a massive investment for me. Anything like when you're starting out is a massive investment, it feels like. And it had a watercolor map on it. It was a $5 logo from Fiverr. I didn't understand that a brand kit existed. So like picking a font was not something I ever did. The font came with the website. I never even questioned the font, frankly. I don't even know what the font looks like. If you ask me what the fonts that were on that first website were, I would have no clue. So I guess throwing it back to our conversation about branding, I would create a brand kit to apply to that website and go into it with a little bit more knowledge. It was a very simplistic website. It had an about me. I don't think it was very educational, frankly, but because I didn't even have a process to have a process page would have been great because then you can manage expectations of like what the process looks like to work with you. I did evolve into a website that had a lead generator. And that's what I would say primarily is one, don't overcomplicate your website to the point where it's not intuitive. Have CTA buttons everywhere. So call to action buttons everywhere on your website. Inquire now, work with me how we work. So having call to action buttons throughout the website that directed people to the inquiry form and prioritizing the ease of use to get someone from a passive inquirer, essentially to an actively inquiring lead that's submitting a form, that would be the goal. And I think that I looked at a website rather as this is my address in the world. I don't have a physical address. So I'm going to make this digital presence and I need it to be all about me instead of prioritizing intuitive nature that a website should be. Yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of people do the same thing about their website. It's all about me when in reality, your website's all about the client. Like it's all about what the client needs to know in order to act on your services. So they're coming to you with questions and you need to know what those questions are in order to actually write to those in your copy and infuse them in your sitemap and all of those things. And again, I, our first website for Exploratory especially was very simple. And I think people get confused and think they need this big elaborate website when in reality, you do not. You really just need to answer those questions, show who you are, how you're going to benefit them and give them the next steps 
in order to move forward in the process. So like link your inquiry form and all of that good stuff. But yeah, websites, I think can feel very daunting for people. But I think they get more daunting when we put so much pressure on them to do the communication of our value, because it should just basically, in my mind, at least a lot of my clients at the time were coming from Instagram. So they were getting this like background information about me, why I started my business, why what I did, where I was going, what I specialized in. And then they just needed like a little bit more from the website, like a process page, I think a process page, or at least a section on your website that outlines your process is incredibly important because a lot of people don't understand the booking process. But yeah, don't overcomplicate a website because the more complicated it gets, the easier it is to lose people. Like navigation is basically the only thing that matters mm-hmm. when it comes to websites. I think the other thing that I thought was most important was adding destinations and a blog. And so if you have a blog, that's fantastic. However, the pitfall of my blog was that every post was dated. If I went two months without updating it, we live in this world where a lot of businesses, especially digital businesses, are temporary and they have a short lifespan. So if there is a lapse in updating information, it looks like you went out of business, especially if you're starting from another career and you're transitioning. People are like, oh, this side gig, it must not have panned out for her. So that was a lot more work that I was putting on my plate than I felt like I needed. Probably great for SEO, but I didn't have a strategy. So probably not at the same time. If you're doing something, hoping that it bumps your organic reach, then there should be some kind of strategy. So even if you need to watch YouTube videos of how that works, like I wasn't labeling photos before I was updating it to align with the topic. I wasn't weaving in three or four times the main keyword searches that I wanted people to ping. Like I knew nothing about SEO. Therefore, I was probably not increasing my SEO by doing this thing that added to my task list when I had a million other things on my plate that I should have been doing as a new business owner. So all that to say, I would also explore SEO maximization, but I want to backtrack to the destination pages. I thought that I needed what I do and a page for North America and like all the things that I knew about that destination or a page for Wanderlust where it plugged recent travels. All of that was adding pages, adding bulk, taking away from the main message, which was, I want people to know what I do and I want to convert them to clients. I don't want them to get distracted or lost in this maze of information. And I think a lot of websites do that, not just in our, in the travel industry. We overcomplicate it and it is your digital address. Like you should be able to knock on the door, ask the receptionist what you do and make a decision whether to purchase or not. And if you think of it in that way, then it's like, okay, what do I need? I need a homepage. I need an about page so people can feel personally connected to me and know why they should trust me and understand the credibility that I have. And then there should be a process page where they can learn about what it's going to look like for them and then a contact page. So I think you could actually get away with like a four-page website, especially if you're not doing a blog. So that would be my advice is keep it simple, but keep it informative. Don't over-pollute your website, especially with words, because no one's reading our wrap-up documents. So they're sure as heck not reading your website when they're landing on it just to see if they want to work with you. They're going to get overwhelmed. They're going to leave. If you could like paint the perfect website for you right now, what would it be? 
That's a loaded question. <laughs> I don't know. Like I, I probably would have worked with a copywriter. Actually, definitely would have worked with a copywriter. And I would have wanted to either sit down and learn a little bit more about SEO and create blog content related to that if I was going to go that route. I have enough understanding of SEO to be dangerous. I don't have enough to be like, here is how you're going to rank so much higher in Google. Like I just know the bare minimum basically. And I know it's important. So working with a copywriter, I think would help with my SEO because keywords on your website are so important. And but backlinks are so important. So I don't know, it would have been probably more simple. Like right now with Teak, we have a very, very beefy website. We offer a bunch of different services. We offer we have our community, we have our courses, like we have a whole bunch of stuff. And it's a lot to manage all the time. Because when you go and you rebrand, or you need to update your website, it gets a lot more challenging when you have like a 50 page website versus when you have a nice, sweet and condensed eight page website or something like that. So it would have definitely been more simplified. I think like what you said, the home about process, maybe a services page and then contact and that would literally be it. I would have placed a lot more emphasis on working with a photographer to get good brand photos of me. So many travel advisor websites I see are just stock imagery throughout and then maybe like a grainy picture of someone traveling. And I would have wanted me in my office working on travel itineraries being photographed. I would have wanted a lot more of me infused in the website than just the destination or I've invested in flytographer or something while I was traveling on a fan in Greece or in Italy or something like that. So really making sure that I prioritized imagery on there because I think selling travel is so visual. And I think especially for the clientele, I would have wanted to target like that, you know, fun and funky type of person. They would want to see more of me in the photos than just some like generic, I sell Italy. So here's a picture of Italy that I got off Pexel sort of situation. Does that cover everything I would have in a website? Probably not. But I think I would have definitely used a template. I am obsessed with Tonic Site Shop. They just do website templates so well. When we took our service, the template service away from Teak, I felt so good about it because we did go over to an affiliate program with Tonic and they just, they really do a great job at releasing new templates and stuff. So I would have probably purchased a template to take that investment down so that I can invest more money in brand photos and more money in a copywriter personally. And maybe an SEO person to just come through and give me like ideas, updates, that kind of thing. I agree with the template completely. I would have also educated myself on how to utilize my website or like how to be able to edit my website better. So I wasn't spending so much to maintain it, which I think is a massive expense suck when you don't invest in learning the technology that you have. And I mean that for like everything across the board, but website is a big ticket one when someone's, yeah, I'll update that page. It'll be $500. And you're just like doling out cash when it right. actually would have probably taken you less than a half day to learn. But if you're charging a $500 planning fee for something that you're going to manage for months, but you won't invest in a half day to learn how to do your website, like the math of that doesn't make sense. You have to put a number on your time. I just think knowing how your technology works can save you a lot of money. And that's a big statement. So email marketing, I touched on lead generator. I would have really focused on this. I would have done so many more. Download your vacation planning guide here. And it would have been a lead capture. I would. Have, I did have it for the how we work guide in the end. And I got over 50 emails in a month. So I know that if I'd started my website with that, as people like family and friends who are most enthusiastic for you when you start, 
not always clients. They're not always clients. In fact, they're probably not going to be your client. Your family and friends are the last people to trust you. It's very bizarre. But I would have woven in these lead generators throughout the website to target the different audiences. I would have segmented it out. But there's a lot of enthusiasm from people when they start their business, but there's not a lot of pause to perfect, which rightfully so, you don't know what you don't know, but it is so much easier to maybe have five conversations with different advisors like this podcast and say, what would you do differently if you were to start over and then build that, then learn after six years of failures. That's what I would challenge anyone to do, whether they're tenured or not. What do you wish you had done differently in your website? Because I guarantee it's going to be different than what you are doing in your website. And it's never too late to make those changes. But that's what I would have done is I would probably boil it down to have conversations about each of these topics with other advisors on what they wish they'd done or small business owners, rather. I think a realtor would be a great person to talk to. Where are your leads coming from? How are you capturing an email list? Because realtors, the really successful ones, are fantastic at growing their lead list. And I think we can model things from other industries, but we get in this bubble of the travel industry and we start to look at what other travel advisors are doing. And maybe the other travel advisors are just talking to each other. So we never expand past that. So I do think there's a lot to be learned from other industries, but I would have added a lot more sources of adding to my email newsletter list rather than just copying and pasting it from my inquiry forms in a manual way. I would have segmented that information out and I would have probably outsourced someone once a month to nurture that specific thing that they were interested in. So if it's a honeymoon planning guide, I would have nurtured that with like a lot of wedding, honeymoon, tying it to their emotions and, and triggering the, the actual emotional component of marketing. I was also highly inconsistent with newsletters in general. So creating consistency translates to reliability. And I would have been much better about creating a consistent pattern that someone could rely on. I just think that says a lot about how you run your business. And then lastly, I would have had a nurture sequence for each of those segmentations that welcomed them into my sphere, introduced them to me, made them feel like a part of the family rather than just like, all right, you signed up for a newsletter. Now you're getting a cold newsletter inconsistently every three to six months. And maybe you unsubscribe because you have no emotional tie to this business anymore. As a travel advisor, we wear a lot of hats. Planner, budget manager, fortune teller, therapist, meteorologist. But the one thing that we don't have to be is a graphic designer. Why? Because Canva does that for us with hundreds, maybe even thousands of templates to choose from. Social media and marketing can be a breeze. Just upload images and your brand kit and the possibilities are endless. Think email header graphics, social media posts and reels, client welcome guides, business cards, and so much more. No more expensive outsourcing. Canva Pro has you covered. To get started looking like the professional that you are, use Teak's affiliate code in the show notes. I think I, my very first thing I would have gone back and said to past Robin is to flip the script. I was so focused on like Instagram and growing my Instagram followers and that was going to bring me more leads when really it didn't. My email list did and I didn't focus on that at all for my business. 
it's a big focus of ours for teak. Like I don't really ever care how many people follow us on Instagram. That's like my least concern. But my biggest concern is our our list and our list is beefy and it's got good open rates. And I think that's like a huge testament to like the value inside of our email list. I would have done lead generators, of course, mine would not be like a free resource, I would have hidden my service pricing breakdown, where you have to download my like investment guide or something like that instead of a free resource, because that'll get a lot of I put my email on anything for a free resource, but then I like instantly unsubscribe. So what I would have done is I would have hidden a page of my website, like my service guide or my pricing guide, so that people who are truly interested in the next step, which is booking a call or or working with me in some capacity would be getting more information about what services would cost or at least the starting app price. Because then my lead pool and my email list, maybe it's filled with fewer people, but it's filled with people who are ready to move on to the next step. I would, however, have a quiz on my website instead of a free resource as some sort of travel quiz. Those are probably the best lead generators across the board right now. People really love learning about themselves and there used to be those quizzes all the time on like people and stuff where it's like, take the quiz and find out what kind of potato you are. And people would freaking do it, even though it didn't matter. So if I could have created some sort of like, what's your travel style quiz through Interact, I would have done that. And yeah, I would probably have put that on my website somewhere, but I would have really used that to run ads to on Instagram and on Facebook and on Pinterest to take leads over to that quiz. And then that's going to give me some insight into the type of traveler they are. And then yeah, they go through a lead cycle, like a nurture sequence from there to kind of continue to nurture and love on them. But I agree with you. I would have definitely invested a little bit more time in that. A lot of people have a welcome sequence, right? And it's like one email where it's like, congrats, you're on my list. Yay. And then bye. And then they're getting random emails here and there. I think I would have loved to create some sort of content plan or some sort of longer nurture sequence. I don't think I would have stu- I don't think I would have honestly stuck with a monthly newsletter. I know they're good and I know we do our weekly ones here. We outsource that for Teak. Ideally, I don't know if I would have somebody doing email marketing on my team if I were to go back in time. I would have probably just tried to extend that nurture sequence enough and make a different nurture sequence for people who are downloading my investment guide. That's like a little bit more like act now, like let's get you booked sort of situation than full on weekly, monthly, whatever it is, newsletters. Just because I know me and I know that I wouldn't take the time to necessarily do that. So that's just me being honest about myself, but it's valuable. I love the quiz. And I want to pause on that because I feel like we glazed past that really fast. I agree 100%. I think that I would have used that because the primary target, I would have loved to have like an occasion page. What's your celebration somehow? And I don't know what the functionality of that would look like on the website, but getting people to a page that is in sync with the type of travel they're booking. So like, what are you looking for kind of thing where multi-gen kind of trip, honeymoon, something like that. And then be able to do a quiz of like, what's your ideal honeymoon destination and pulling on that because I think honeymooners in particular are definitely going to do a fun quiz. And it's like, do you like, you know, food and wine or do you want crystal blue water? Getting them almost to a decision before they ever get on a phone, which helps your intake call go so much smoother 
And you could weave in questions that have absolutely nothing to do with the destination too, but it's like a sneaky way of getting additional information from them without being on the inquiry form. Mm -hmm. So like, what's your ideal investment and things like that, which I mean, actually that does play into the destination, but I just think like getting them to provide that information in a more fun way that clicking and drop down would be very helpful. Yeah. Free resources, again, they're great. They serve their purpose. I just feel like you get a lot more buy-in when you hide a page of your website that people want more information of, or you run a quiz sort of situation. So that's what I would have definitely done different. But at the time, I didn't even know anything about it. To this day, our biggest lead generator ever was our brand style quiz. And we need to think about revamping that, honestly, for our own website on Teak. But it brought in so many people. And people still talk about it because it was so accurate. How'd you do that? And I'm like, one afternoon, I sat down and made a quiz on Interact and they make it so easy. And it'll it linked directly up to our active campaign. I would say that I would invest on the front end in a more robust email marketing platform, one that can segment, one that can create automations, one that can tag people appropriately within my email list so that I am emailing people with the most relevant information mm-hmm. versus... And again, I think nowadays, most people are getting to the point. Flowdesk used to have none of that capabilities. And I know that they've been adding in a lot lately. So I'm not as well versed in like the other platforms. But that would be something I would definitely have looked at when evaluating email marketing and like what platform I'm actually investing in, even if it does come in a little bit more premium of a price. It is interesting because all of these things, they're like, oh, to an advisor who's in it right now, they're like, my gosh, these are such big projects that you're talking about. And I have such a big client load. But I would almost say that if you implement these educational pieces in the front end and create these obstacles for clients to get to you, you would be less busy now. Like I would have been less busy later on in my career had I done all of these things that helped people self-select out of my process. And I wouldn't have had to say yes to so many trips because I would have been saying yes to the right trips that actually made it through to me. But because I felt this kind of like sense of urgency to get business in the door and like establish myself, it was, oh, yes, 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 I'll take that trip. And then you never get off the hamster wheel. It's not like Mm -hmm. life stops and you get a chance to reset. COVID was our one shot at that. Unless you completely like take a pause on business, which would be wild, but I don't know. It should be hard. I mean, it's definitely doable. Yeah, it's doable. Okay, so let's transition to industry events and FAMs. What would you do differently now if you were to start your advice, a new agency tomorrow? What would what would you attend and what would you say no to? I don't even know that much about industry events, so I'm like a bad person to ask about this. <laughs> I didn't. I think my only industry event I went to was like E3 for classic and cruise world, which was not a fit for my business at all. So in terms of like what's out there, I have no freaking idea. Don't even ask me that question. But fams, I think I would have, I don't know, I just wasn't getting invited on a lot of fams in the beginning. We were under a host and I was under Jen. So it was like, (laughs) definitely trickled down. I like to say I would have been more strategic about the fams I applied for. But I was just throwing spaghetti at the wall trying to see what stuck. I probably would have, if I would have stayed Caribbean, that whole thing probably would have done more of my own. Probably would have invested in my own fans more so than I was anything just else. Say that because you started to do more self-guided, like you did a, you actually had planned a Saint Lucia self-guided fam. 
which was like perfectly on point with your clientele. And that's your vibe. The ability to have control over the products that you're visiting rather than wasting time, because I know you and you're an efficiency mindset. So like going on a fam and seeing properties that don't align with your business is probably more frustrating to you than missing out on the fam. You'd rather miss out on the fam than go on a fam that just is not your ideal product lineup. So what you had done towards the end, and it ended up getting canceled because of COVID. And I'm sorry, I'm like putting words in your mouth, but I just remember that you were like hyped to go to St. Lucia and you did end up going to St. Lucia, but it was a different trip by then because you had transitioned to Teak full time. But I know that you are going to, you are personally investing in a self-guided trip to St. Lucia that, how did you reach out? Was it to the tourism board? Uh, yes, it was. I reached out and said that this is my primary demographic. This is what I'm booking. St. Lucia seems like a really good fit. My clients are all based out of South Florida. They instantly started hooking me up with either suppliers. I did it the same thing with Scottsdale. I was going to Scottsdale for a camp for Hunter and I was going to be there. He was at football for like two or three days. So I reached out to like visit Scottsdale and same exact thing. They set up the whole entire fam for me, contacted the supplier, set my schedule. I told him what properties I was willing to see and what ones that were not something I was interested in selling. And that was super easy. But I also had one ongoing with Costa Rica. And I went through the tourism board for that. They were all incredibly helpful. Some required, I think St. Lucia required me reaching out to the hotels. They just supplied me with the direct contact instead of me just randomly reaching out to the hotel and trying to get the sales rep. They kind of introduced me as an advisor who was visiting and wanted to see the hotels. And then I would get agent rates through that conversation. But it was a lot easier than I thought it would be. I thought it'd be like, I don't know, kind of weird. No one would want to see me and people were more than happy to either offer me one free night or two free nights. And I would also, anything I was booking, it was in low season. It wasn't during high season. It wasn't during holiday season. It wasn't during any of that. It was true low season. Like I'm pretty sure it was the dead of July or something when I was trying to go to St. Lucia. But I think that's respectful too. Like any self-guided fam, you have to be cognizant that you need to go at a time where they're not filling their rooms with full paying customers. I really get frustrated when advisors will put in, you know, Facebook group, I'm going with my family to Italy in June. Does anyone know that someone that's going to be able to give a TA rate? Here's the thing. One, you're on vacation. Invest in the experience. That's not a fam. I understand that you might use it for marketing. I did actually, and this is me eating my words, but I did integrate site visits into my honeymoon but I genuinely still reserved the time for a meeting. I still did the site visit. I still wrote a blog on every hotel that I visited and invested back in them from what they invested in me. And if you're using a trip for personal benefit, you need to be cognizant that it has to be just as balanced with business if you're going to get a TA rate. So like still show it on social media still write the blog post, still incorporate it into your newsletter. Everywhere we travel is to benefit our knowledge. But if you're going there and you don't want a meeting and you don't want to actually take the time to market that product, then I would say that's not the time to ask for a TA rate. The things that I would do differently would be to prioritize, and I ended up doing this towards the end, but prioritize the industry events because I think that's where you really get a sense of community in travel. 
And I don't have much of a sense of community in the town that I live and travel, the travel industry became my tight knit community. So going to industry events that aligned with advisors that I wanted to be like so that I could have that sense of community, it in turn meant that the suppliers that I wanted to meet with were also going to be there. So like I went to T-Fest in Dubai, I went to ILTM, I had RSVP'd for LE Miami, and I ended up not being able to go just for some health reasons. But RSVPing for those events and registering for those events and I understand those are application-based events, but at least putting your name in the hat to be amongst those people, I think is really important for your growth because going on a FAM with people that are not of the same business model as you, or they don't have the same goals, they don't have the same ideal clientele, I don't think that helps you strengthen your business. And it doesn't allow for like idea sharing as much. But I found that at these industry events, I could sit next to someone at dinner and learn a lot about their business, but I was also the next day able to meet with 10, 15 suppliers that all aligned with my business. That's what I would do differently. I would have said no to a lot more fans that weren't my target destination niche audience because I spent a lot of money on fans. And if I were to look back and do the return on investment on those, there were a lot that just frankly didn't pan out. I understand that's a little bit trial and error but I also was just like stoked to go that destination. So I would buy a ticket and I would have done a lot more evaluation of let's sit back. Do I want to go to this destination personally or does my client want to go to this destination? And if the answer was, I want to go to this destination personally, I would have tabled that and utilized my profits to go there rather than utilizing my business funds to claim that I was doing it as a write-off, which I understand if someone's doing that, but at the end of the day, you want your business to be profitable and it has to be profitable in order to be a business. So making sure that your he- your business is healthy first and then prioritizing your recreation in a different way, I think makes a lot more sense. Does this sound familiar? Your social media strategy fails to actually have a strategy. You post in real time because you don't have an easier way. You're living in post and pray mentality that people will finally be served your amazing content. No more. We have a solution and you've probably heard about it already. Our team loves using Planoly for social media planning. Planoly allows us to post at optimal times when our followers are on the platform and batch our content in advance so that we can work smarter, not harder. It's easy to overthink social media and then simply avoid it altogether. You don't need to be intimidated. Just remember that social media is a free marketing resource for you to leverage to build relationships with more of your ideal clients. So let's stop overanalyzing and start intentionally creating posts that reflect your brand. Click the link in our show notes to get started with Planoly today. We're going to dive into client experience a little bit because Robin and I started on VCRM and then we transitioned to Travel Joy. And before we had Travel Joy, we frankly did not have a client experience. We were taking orders, I'll say. We were taking orders. We were booking trips. We were sending wrap-up documents, but there was no nurturing of the sales relationship. We weren't servicing the sale per se. And Robin, when we transitioned to Travel Joy, learned her technology, like I just said, those are my regrets, is that I didn't invest the time to learn my technology that I was investing in so that I could optimize whatever I was investing in. 
And she came up with this 14 email client experience. And it was all emails that we had been using already. And she put them in a template, put a cute header graphic on them in Travel Joy, which is the first time I had seen header graphics. I think that was like the birth, the inception of header graphics, if I do say so myself. I think you came up with that. I'll give you credit for that. And then that was essentially the entire catalyst for what is now known as elevated experience workflow. So we had 14 emails to start out and it grew to 40 emails. And what I would have done differently, I'll just keep this as succinct as possible, is I would have duplicated my workflow to match with the trip type. So I would have had nurture sequences for 90-day, 45-day, 30-day that align with the destination that they've picked out. And I would have had templated Bon Voyage emails for all the destinations that I sold the most of so that I wasn't spending time writing, rewriting, going back into my email, copy and pasting. And then what I found, anytime I would copy and paste information, I would either forget to add something or I would keep something in that didn't apply for their trip because I was using it from someone else's email. So I would have early on sat down and actually built out that client experience for each destination, at least the wrap-up documents. But I would have invested much more time in recognizing that there needs to be a client experience. You need to service the sale. People are going to have frequently asked questions. And it took me years to like actually pay attention to the fact that everyone was asking the same questions at the same point in time. And I could have prevented all of that and stayed out of my inbox a lot more by foreseeing their needs and being a true service provider rather than reacting to their needs. and almost like from a vanity perspective, and I don't know if you relate to this, but feeling like the hero, like, oh, I answered your question. I did it. I don't I don't really want to answer your question. I want you to have no questions because I did such a great job that you feel so confident and completely question-free. 100%. What would you do differently client experience-wise? Because you did give birth to Elevated Experience Workflow in its very infancy. I would have bought that. <laughs> <laughs> Not to toot my own horn, but I would freaking have bought that. Made myself a lot of time. Obviously, like again, I started with 14 emails, but yeah, that's I would have purchased exactly that. I probably would have tailored it to my top destinations or hotels. Like at the time, I was booking a lot of Unico or whatever. I don't know if that's even still like a big a big booking one, but I was booking a lot of Unico at the time. I would have taken a wrap up, basically my client booked task list, duplicated it, adjusted verbiage for that specific resort. And then gone about it. But if I was booking like particular resorts on repeat, which I I was, that was just like my business. Somebody would see me at Chilino Bay. They would reach out. They'd want to go. They'd go. They'd tag me in the story. Somebody else would reach out about Chilino Bay. So that became a big one that I was booking a good amount of. And if that was the case, I would have worked smarter, not harder and had a booked task list for that. So I think I would have tailored it, but my exact workflow would have been what's inside of EEW. That's why we sell it. So it's hard to go against what we created, but the amount of times I wish we would have had more emails in our, and not even more emails. I don't even yeah. think that's like what the power of EEW is and what yeah. those workflows are. It's the checkpoints. It's authorizations before payment, like mm-hmm. all of that stuff that we weren't doing before. So it's more so like for the legal side of things as well. I would have really wanted that in my back pocket so that I knew everything was written in word, clearly communicated, all of that. Nothing to get weird. Yeah. I, I mean, that's a good point. It's not even about servicing the sale. It's about mutual buy-in to the information being accurate. And that's essentially how 
it went from 14 emails to 40 emails. We kept on finding these gaps. For example, I think the 15th and 16th were due to COVID and it was a cancellation form and a cancellation authorization email that joined with that form and then a itinerary change request form and email because we were canceling massive trips that were worth a lot of money. And it's like, you just don't return a car to the lot and be like, I don't want this anymore. And there's no signature. You know what I mean? First of all, you can't do that. But second of all, there would be some kind of authorization and documentation of that rather than just an email saying, I want to cancel this or worse, just a phone call saying, I want to cancel this. And then there's no written documentation at all. So if anyone's listening to this and they're they're canceling trips or changing trips without authorization and documentation, I would just beg you, one, look at EUW because I think it could, could solve a lot of problems in, in conjunction with Travel Joy, but get documentation. Robin and I have always been big on documentation, but also like getting authorization and the right documentation that holds up legally is different than just documenting a request by email. So working with a lawyer and being like, I want to sit through my entire workflow with you and you tell me if there are any legal pitfalls. Because if someone does a chargeback, okay, what does your contract say? Is Amex going to side with you or the client? Because they're going to favor the client until you prove that wrong. It's kind of like the innocent until proven guilty kind of thing when it comes to a chargeback. And it's always going to be on the side of the client. So I agree with you completely that the legal protective piece of the client experience and the information capture in a succinct way is better than those nurture points from an emotional standpoint, like flight detail information. That was one of the last forms we added, but probably should have been one of the first when people book their own flights. People screenshot and then they don't include the flight number or they don't include the date. And you're here you are trying to like make sure that all the details align. And maybe they know that they arrive in Europe on August 12th and they booked it to depart on August 12th because they don't know. They didn't notice that you land on a different day. So those things would be massively important now. I agree with that completely. Okay, last thing, diversifying income. You mentioned this part one, adding courses and supplemental income points because you were going to approach it more as a travel influencer with a focus on planning. So what does that mean to you? Where would you diversify your income in your process? I think I would have... Definitely leaned into affiliate marketing more than anything. I always think about courses and I'm like, what course would I make? And I'm like, I don't know if I know enough about a certain destination. So I would love to have made a course. I just at this point in time, I'm not really sure what that course would have looked like or what that resource or the guidebook or whatever that would have been. But I would have definitely leaned into affiliate marketing way more and kind of used that to my advantage. Again, this kind of goes back to my how I talked about it would be a more personal brand. And I think affiliate marketing plays really, really well into that because typically if people are following you and they're invested in your personal brand, they're like curious on what you're purchasing and stuff. So using that to my advantage for like things like tours, travel insurance, things like that, like white labeling hotels that you can book on your own and I can get a kickback commission for just looking at every and exploring every single way in which that might benefit me. Because at the end of the day, I could use those as downsell opportunities. So if somebody gets a call with me and my services aren't right for them, they don't want me to plan their trip. I could still have that option where it's like, Hey, I won't manage your trip, but I can send you hotel recommendations based on what you're looking for and then still make money off of that somehow. So working in ways like that, 
again, I would love to have done a course. I just, at this point in time, have no idea what that would look like if that would be a specific destination or not. Cause right now I don't think I have enough knowledge on a particular destination the way that you would with like an Italy or something, Jen, but affiliate marketing for sure. Anyways, to make passive income without having to like trade my time for dollars, I would be all in for. I think you would have been great at doing a course on like how to plan the best honeymoon and talk through the how to rather than the destination. Like I don't always think that the course has to be on a destination. I do think that from a Pinterest perspective, if you're pinning the course and you're trying to get information that way, having how to get the best Amalfi Coast honeymoon would probably have more buying power. So I don't know if that return on investment for how to in general would pan out, but I think it could be worth it. I would totally do YouTube because I was doing, what was it? Fast Five Live on Facebook. And every Wednesday night, I would get a glass of wine and I would do five points of some topic. And one time it was five points on how to get the most out of the Amalfi Coast. And it was like always 30 minutes. So I know the threshold for YouTube to get commercials is 10 minutes. So that's when you actually start to monetize that. So I would have loved to do YouTube and showcase my knowledge there and then always have a call to action. Like if you want to know more, if you want to work with me, click in the link in the show notes. I'd love to help you make this XYZ trip. And I don't think that I would approach it from a vlogging perspective. People were always like, why don't you vlog? I'm like, do you know how much makeup and wardrobe? And I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I want to talk to a camera and maybe I could have some camera blips from Safari where it cuts to, you know, some live footage of that. But there are a lot of people on YouTube that are doing vlogs incredibly well. If my career is travel planning, not travel vlogging, I'm not going to spend the money to get the equipment, to get the wardrobe, to spend the time getting ready for the video while I'm on the Amalfi Coast. I'd rather bring the information back and make it like a one-shot 30-minute video rather than three days of capturing content because I always found that vlogging took away from actually experiencing the destination as a traveler would. To me, vlogging is very much like the Instagram post. Like you're going at five in the morning. So there are the less people in the background. You're not doing it to get the experience. You're doing it to get the imagery that sells. So I would rather be a platform for information and the how to. So I think I would have loved YouTube. I think that would have been fun. I would have felt like there was a sense of community. I think that could have been really cool. Get some passive income there. I will say that I did end up weaving hyperlinks into blog posts, again, a lot of maintenance there because sometimes those hyperlinks time out. So those affiliate links time out and they're not always sustainable to keep in touch. Six months ago, I put in, you know, Viator codes. They've probably expired. They're not doing anything. And then your user on your blog has a frustrating experience because they click it and it doesn't go to what it says. So I wouldn't want to create frustration in that way, but I I would have definitely done the white label hotel on your own bookings. Like you mentioned that Virtuoso offers. I don't know if any other consortium is currently offering that platform. And I'm just waiting for like a booking.com or something like that to offer those affiliate codes for hotels specifically. But I just don't, I don't know if that's going to happen. They already have the commission base. So maybe. 
anyway, I do think for me, passive income would have been YouTube because I still want people to associate me with that information and then come to me through that rather than, than just the links. So that's what I would do differently. Interesting. Yeah. You had your podcast back in the day. Would you touch that again? I did. I did have a podcast. It was called Come Fly With Me. And what I loved about that was I would interview essentially suppliers and ask questions about the destination and focus on the logistical components, not really the product. So it was more targeted towards anyone that was traveling. It wasn't just travel advisor specific. And I had a lot of fun with that. Just like YouTube though, there's a lot of strategy that goes into growing a podcast. Like we have a podcast manager. I just think that YouTube feels more maintainable for me because I feel comfortable talking to a camera for a short amount of time and being able to control what I'm saying rather than a podcast where you have a guest and you had to edit certain things based off of what was said and if audio blipped and things like that. I don't know. I found that there was more editing in audio versus visual. I think I'm the opposite just because I don't want to get dressed every day. (laughs) Like (laughs) I I would rather just be able to talk and not deal with like getting ready and all that kind of junk. Yeah. I think I would have batched them and just like lined up five topics and done like a month and a half essentially at a time. It's so interesting to see what people gravitate towards. Cause after we filmed seven figure sales and it was like us on video and it wasn't even our faces just talking without anybody else. I was like, I could never do that. It felt so weird. And until I got in the groove and then it was a little bit easier, but I don't think I would even saying that I don't think I'd do a podcast because that's just so much work. Yeah. But I mean, I think the whole point of passive income is called passive, right? So if it's going to add an entire wing to your business, reevaluate it. Right. That's how I feel about blogs or I think email marketing is worth it, but blogs, YouTube, podcasts, really evaluate how much you're going to pour into it because nothing is a shortcut. Everything is you get out what you put in. So like, let's stop assuming that passive means easy because like seven figure sales, all these courses we make, people don't know it, but we spend two to six months on the on-ramp for these courses, creating the outline of the curriculum, then putting it in the presentation, then creating the scripts, then getting ready, then editing and uploading. Like there's so much work for these quote unquote passive income streams that are active at various points. Yeah. And so creating a podcast is very active for us because We create the outline and it would be a lot more active if we didn't have a podcast manager. And I don't think someone whose primary source of business and income is travel planning should probably not have a podcast manager. Like you should, if podcasting is what you want to do, have a podcast manager, but your passive income should not cost you money. (laughs) So if you have someone managing your passive income, it's kind of counterintuitive and it probably shouldn't be in your repertoire is where I stand with that. And I would always say before you explore passive income, like look at your service suite, look at your pricing, like look at what you're bringing in. There's ways to diversify your service suite to make you make more money while people are like paying for your time. Like you could offer consultation calls to people who don't want to do full on travel planning. There's ways to diversify your income with various services that are not maybe the quote unquote quintessential services that a travel advisor would have before you add on passive income. Because like you said, it should be passive. But that doesn't mean that it's just something you throw together overnight and then boom, you have passive income. It it takes 
a while of planning. If you're going to do affiliate marketing or affiliate marketing of any sort, really, you should have like a marketing plan for that affiliate relationship set in place. And I mean, that's something we're actively working on right now. And it, it takes a lot of effort to think through how to create a marketing plan for a product that isn't yours. Honestly, I think it's easier sometimes, but it's just, it takes a little bit of the legwork out of it. I don't want anyone to sit here and think like, oh, I need passive income. I would evaluate services first before you just like go ahead and try to throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks and evaluate if your service suite feels good. You're charging enough for your time. You're feeling good about the income you're making, that sort of thing. Yeah, I agree with that fully. All right, let's wrap this up. So if you tuned in for this, you know that we covered from branding all the way through passive income. So like the inception of your identity all the way through how you can make additional income after establishing yourself and your book of business. We hope that you enjoyed this. There's so much probably more to uncover with what we do differently, but this is just a little taste and hopefully sparked some inspiration for you as you continue to grow your business. Thank you for joining another TikToks episode. If you're loving our content, we would love and appreciate your support and feedback. So head on over to Apple Podcasts, hit subscribe, so that you never miss when an episode drops. And while you're there, please leave us a reading and review. We're sending you a long distance cheers because you just finished another episode of TikTok. If you loved what you heard, hit subscribe and head over to the show notes for any resources and a summary of this episode. In the meantime, if you want more access to us, we are personally inviting you to join our Niche by Teak community where we host live events, answer your questions, share destination masterclasses, and give you a front row seat to all the resources that we launch throughout the year. Plus, what's better than being surrounded by like-minded advisors that are hyping you up to succeed each day? We think nothing. Head over to www.teakhq.com backslash niche to join the community today.